out a blink of an eye. Life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies. Beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2 Blink of an Eye Hello. Oh, it is so good to be back with all of you. I hope you enjoyed the break between seasons, listening to the bonus episodes. I want to welcome you to Season 2 of Blink of an Eye, and I want to bring you up to date on what you can expect as a listener to Blink of an Eye podcast and what Season 2 has in store for you. I have loved hearing from so many of you during the break, and we have doubled our listeners who have been going back to Episode 1 to listen in all the way through. Thank you all for telling your friends to listen in. Isn't it wonderful that we are creating a field of connection with each other? Now listening in from around the world, who would have imagined it? And I love the messages and emails you send me. Listen to this story I heard from Emmanuel in Rwanda. Hello, Emmanuel. To you and your beautiful wife, I love the picture you sent. I'm inspired by your story that, despite being paralyzed from the waist down, you have persevered through cultural discrimination as you manually operate an old metal wheelchair over the barren, arid terrain of Africa. And hello, Shannon, in Denver, Colorado. I love your message of how Blink of an Eye and Archer have inspired you to apply for nursing school because you want to be a trauma-healing-informed nurse. Wow. I've also learned that many of you listening are not subscribed to Blink of an Eye, even though you're downloading the listens. Well, it's good to subscribe. It's cool for you because it keeps track of where you are in the listening story or what you want to go back to. And it's good for us because it helps us stay connected and keep Blink of an Eye going. If you're not yet subscribed, all you do is look for the subscribe button wherever you're streaming your podcast. I also wanted to thank all of you who tuned in to the bonus episodes during the break between seasons. Yeah, I know. The interview of the inside story with Davis Barsby, who was part of Archer's rescue off the Cape May beach, was very moving. And the montage of interviews with Archer's high school friends, young men, just 17 at the time, 
and their willingness to speak about their experiences, seeing their friend paralyzed, was also unforgettable. So much we can learn from each other. Oh, and I want to say hello to Linda Coban in Maryland, a lawyer who was our first Patreon patron. Thank you, Linda. That's right. All of you are invited to check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash blink of an iPod and become a patron too to keep us going with production of Blink of an Eye for as little as $3 a month. And we have special inside looks for deeper dive interviews for those patrons who support us. I have a couple more things to talk with you about before we move in to season two. I want to acknowledge all of you whom I also heard from who wrote me about being triggered about past trauma in your own lives as you listened to the story in season one. You told me some of your memories, which you thought had long ago been buried, and some memories that came up were new and fresh, but both were surprising and unexplored. Yes, we have to look back to move forward. We do. I'm so glad you're still with us on this story and finding benefits. We are overjoyed also that we have a corporate sponsor, the nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing Advocacy and Transformation whose message is that while life can change in the blink of an eye and get turned upside down in crisis, you are not alone. I see that provides trauma healing education for high schoolers and young adults and provides training for adults and medical staff in relational approaches to conflict and medical interactions. You can visit www.icthat.org. That's the letter I, the letter C, T H A T dot org. Thank you for supporting I See That as they help support Blink of an Eye. Now, on to season two. A little background about what you are about to hear. Five years ago, tens of thousands of Facebook followers in the United States and abroad followed my family updates about Archer in 2015 and 2016 as each day unfolded when I was bedside to him in the intensive care units. If you were one of the followers, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your time reading them daily. Thank you for the gift of sending your love, which I felt through your focused, positive intentions and specific prayers sent our way. I believe 
It was that concerted and collective effort that started a spark, a divine spark, that was the beginning of the creation of an energy field of healing for Archer. Blink of an Eye Season 2 is all about that spark, the crisis of trauma and medical complications, various ways we respond to crisis and conflict, and what we have the capacity to do for each other and for ourselves that is healing. What you may not have known in those daily writings five years ago, which readers came to refer to as the Archer blogs, only began on day 10 of our crisis. You see, I was with my family in person for the first nine days, as you know from season one. My updates then were in the form of text messages, which you are now familiar with from season one. Season one of the podcast also included never revealed notes and reflections. If you are just now jumping into the podcast story, you may want to go back to season one and begin to listen in from the beginning. It is raw and unrevised, and it is supported with unrehearsed interviews with those who were there at the time as part of the look back with friends, family, and medical staff, all of whom were closely involved in the events of those first nine days. I heard you loud and clear in various focus groups we hosted with subscribers during the break. You love the texted family updates, the look back reflections, and the trauma healing learnings. Some of you also were hoping for the trauma healing learnings to be in a format for easy reference. So, for season two, I will share with you the unabridged writings of the posted Archer blogs in my own voice. And I will weave in interviews with those behind the scenes, as well as introduce you to other trauma healers through interviews of wise men and women I have met since Archer's accident. So, what you can now look forward to in Season 2 is this. I will continue to weave trauma insights into each episode, which you can hear every Wednesday. They will be 45 to 60 minutes in length. And I will make you a 10 to 20 minute trauma healing learning related to the episode story, which you can listen to every Saturday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with lessons and tips. I look forward to your joining me in learning more about trauma healing, living out these applications for yourself, and teaching them to others. Now, all that said, this opening episode of Season 2 will look a little different from the rest of the season to follow. It will also be a little bit longer but hopefully a treat. If you listened to season one 
or you're familiar with the early days of Archer's story, you know that a lot happened in a short period of time. So before we get into the continuation of the story and the Archer blogs and the exploration of some of those family systems, I'm dedicating episode one of season two to revisiting moments from that first week in August 2015 in a montage of sorts. If you are a listener who hasn't missed an episode so far, I encourage you to sit with these words. Maybe close your eyes if it's safe for you to do so right now and see what these images bring up for you this time. And if you're a brand new listener, welcome. This opening episode of season two will catch you up on what you missed in season one. Though if you'd like to go more in depth, be sure to check out the show notes for a listing of which episode these clips are from. So settle in, settle your spirit, take a deep cleansing breath, and here we go. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Mine did. On August 5th, 2015, I got the call. Hello? Miss Amps? Yes? Miss Amps, it's Davis. It's Archer, Miss Amps. What, what about Archer, Davis? He's in an accident, Miss Amps, in the ocean. What, what, what do you mean, an accident, Davis? We don't know, Miss Amps, but we, we think he broke his neck. Diving in the ocean. Bro- broke his neck? <laughs> what does that mean, Davis? Davis, wait, can he, can he move his arms? No, Miss Sims. Can he move his legs? No, Miss Sims. Can he talk? A little. Is he breathing? Yes. Hurry, Miss Sims, meet us. Wait, where am I going? The person who placed the call was Davis Barsby, the assistant manager of the beach club at the time, on lifeguard duty that day. The call was definitely something no one wants to do, but knowing that I had a connection with you, it wasn't something I thought twice about. I got on that phone and and gave you the worst news you could possibly ever receive in your entire life. I had arrived at the Atlantic City Hospital with no memory of how I drove north on unfamiliar routes for about 60 minutes. I entered the hospital through a back entrance looking for Archer. Is this where my son is? Am I in Atlantic City? The guards dispassionately told me to proceed to level three. As the elevator doors opened to level three, I looked around, and I recall someone telling me to take a seat. I fell to the floor on my knees. Please, God, please have mercy on my family. 
I recall someone telling me, ma'am, you cannot be on the floor. I remember wandering around looking for a chapel. All I wanted was a chapel. I could pray in a chapel. I was in tunnel vision to find a chapel. I asked every person I saw, do you know where the chapel is? Please show me, is there a chapel here? I recall opening all kinds of doors. I can't find it. There doesn't seem to be one. And then you showed up and I mean, you, you were an absolute wreck and it was so sad. And I could not imagine what you were going through. And I tried my best to be as helpful as I could at that point. But it got to the point where you were asking the same thing kind of over and over again. And at one point you didn't know where you were. I think you had some shock going on. Praying on the linoleum floor of the hospital, I do remember hearing big sounds outside in the distance, getting louder and louder, flapping sounds like dragon's wings, getting closer and closer and louder and louder. The medevac helicopter that carried Archer was coming into the landing pad. I remember getting off my knees to stand and go see him, and I remember a kind nurse stopping me, but assuring me I would see him. I want to see him now. She told me I could see him after surgery. No, I wanted to see him then. I knew he was there. My son Pete told me I asked repeatedly for hours thereafter, when will I see Archer? I want to see my son. I guess after a few hours of relentless requests, they finally relented. He was beautiful, sort of glowing, actually. He was on a high gurney in a simple neck brace, but it was as if he was glowing. I wanted to touch him, to hold him, but I had promised not to do anything to cause him to move. I remember many preparations were going on around me in the surgical room. I could also see out of the corner of my eye a nurse along the wall keeping an eye on us both. He was staring straight up. So I ever so carefully got my cheek up close to his, cheek to cheek. Hello, darling. It's Mama. Hi, Ma he said. I love you so much. We all love you so much. Everything's going to be okay. Okay. We're, we're right here with you. Whatever you need, we will be here. In that moment of connection with my son, I was restored. Everything was calm. I was clear I was so clear, and Archer was clear. Instinctively, I knew I needed to find out from Archer right then and there what happened. In my years of mediating, I know how the story changes. It does. We change our stories to make sense of them in our own way and to cope. 
I knew I needed to hear from Archer fresh the details. Tell me what happened, my love. Every detail. Archer began retelling, as if replaying a movie scene, every detail in a steady voice. It was so hot in the kitchen. I asked Rocky if I could take a dip in the ocean. I ran down the long boardwalk to the lifeguard stand. James was going in to cool off. I took off my shoes and flung off my shirt, and I ran down the beach into the ocean. There was a real nice wave, and I dove. I heard this loud boom. So loud. I tried to push myself up from the bottom of the ocean. I couldn't. I tried to kick. I couldn't. I was holding my breath and hoping James would see me. When he didn't come, I started praying to God, send James to get me, God. I was counting. I knew I could hold my breath for a minute or so. I was counting how long had it been. The water was seeping in the sides of my mouth. It was filling up my lungs. I couldn't hold my breath anymore. I tried. Then everything went black. Ma. Yes? I talked with God. You talked with God? What, what did God say, Arch? He paused as if he were mulling something over. He said, I said, if it is your will, God, that I die, I accept, but my preference is to live. My preference is to live. It was the last I was to hear Archer's voice for over half a year. I remember thinking that if we all prayed together and prayed hard enough with intensity, the surgery would go well and Archer would be restored to how he was before the accident. August 6th, day two. Dr. Radcliffe, the next surgeon that had just come to find me, I had been wandering the halls, to give me the surgery report. He had begun to tell me he had tried to stabilize Archer by going through the posterior rather than the anterior because I honestly couldn't tell you what else. I just remember his words. He's paralyzed, Mrs. Semft. Oh, what? Oh, oh my God. Oh, God help us. There I sat in that Atlantic Care ICU trauma unit, hospital room 3117, bedside to our paralyzed son. And the text messages I was receiving, well, it felt like my prayers were being answered. I knew we were not alone. The prayer warriors were uniting for Archer. And it all began last night 
a day I will never forget, August 5th, with a simple, albeit desperate, request. This is Louise. Pray hard. Please pray very hard. Our son, Archer, has had a swimming accident at the beach and broke his neck. ICUs are harsh places. At least this one was. Much earlier in the day, a very athletic-looking nurse had come into Archer's hospital room. My sister, Elizabeth, was there with me. I was tucking the rolled washcloths under Archer's hands and fingers as the nurse was changing out one of the many drip bags on one of the many tubes that were providing medicine and hydration to him. I moved out of her way and looked at her as she brushed past me. And when she finished, I said to her, do people like Archer get their hands back? And she said, not likely. My sister says I held out my hands and just looked at them. And then I literally crumpled and fell to the floor on my knees. And the nurse, she did nothing. ICUs are harsh places. August 7th, day three. I went back to studying Archer. There is so much I need to learn about these machines. Archer moved his head very slightly. Can I get you anything, honey? But there was no response. I wonder, what is it like for him? Archer lifted his head and seemed all of a sudden in real distress. I raced to go get a nurse. They came in and suctioned him, which allowed him to breathe again a little bit easier. I noticed how no one seemed to dare move his neck brace. I better not touch it either. I want to get Archer off of all these tubes. It must be awful. A nurse came back in. I turned to her, and in my excitement, I told her about our good news that Archer had said earlier today he had felt his feet. I could tell she was busy. She went about whatever she was doing without looking at me. But you know what she said? Oh, yeah. It's just swelling. Yeah, that's what the young lady in here earlier told me, too. But I told them the same thing. It's just the swelling. I felt like someone had hit me with a two-by-four. Like knocked across the room. She said that to them. To them, Bala and Pete and Archer. How could she say that? I now knew the ashen look on Paula's face and the reason for Archer's empty stare. That nurse sucked all the hope out of that room. Archer's hollow stare flashed in my mind. 
She may have even sucked the life out of him. I was mad. And it all happened so fast in just one sentence. And then she was gone. She said that to my children? Did she have any idea of the impact of his injury on them? And she said that in front of Archer? She totally discounted Archer's report. His reality, did she not understand? Even if it could have been swelling, how does she know? I pushed back the curtain and entered Archer's room. He was very labored in his breathing and he was in distress. It seemed I had just left and he had been calm. They were wheeling in the x-ray machine again, more chest x-rays. Another nurse was hanging another drip bag. Archer's eyes were slits and looked like they were rolled into the back of his head. I wasn't sure. I frantically looked at Paula. Bobo. Do you know what happened? She sat almost comatose. Oh my Lord, something bad is happening. I reached to hold Archer's arm and got up close to look into his face. Archer, I almost shouted. He opened his eyes. They were racing. He began to frantically jerk his head back and forth or trying to in small, hard movements with all the tubes. Oh my God, he might pull out the tubes. Oh my Lord, please calm him. Oh my God, please let him feel free. I thought for sure he'd rip them with his movements. The nurse shouted at him to not move. I said, Archer, it's going to be okay. Archer. Look at me, it's going to be okay, I promise. As I desperately tried to get eye contact with him, my thoughts flashed, I will never leave his side again. Please, darling, we'll get you what you need. As quickly as he was lashing back and forth, he just stopped. I felt panicky for a moment. I couldn't get to Archer, but I realized he was probably exhausted. The nurses were busy checking the monitors that had begun beeping loudly with his thrashing as the room was chaotic. They silenced them, and as quickly as it had all begun, it all calmed again. Those nurses said nothing to me. I'd gotten out of their way quickly so they could get to Archer. I needed them to do whatever they did. But I felt their unease. The air was tense in Archer's room. Back in the Atlantic Care Trauma Unit, my normally positive and strong daughter, Paula, had experienced shock, real shock. The shock related to the trauma experience of Archer's injury, but also the shock just the day before of laying her eyes on her brother for the first time. Um, yeah, I remember like my, my whole body like vibrate, like was like, like it was like on fire. 
I walked back into Archer's hospital room as he continued to not move. But as I looked closer, he didn't look like he was resting at all. He did not look peaceful. Did they drug my son? Is that also standard hospital policy? I was so on guard in this place. As I watched Archer closely, something in my body felt not right. It had been a few hours now. No one told me what they gave him. No one even allowed me to look at the doctor's orders. I wasn't sure I could trust this hospital. What else was standard hospital policy? And who is protecting whom here? Right after Archer's incident, when they wheeled in the machine to take the x-rays, and we stepped back into the hallway and then back into Archer's room to see the x-ray they had just taken, the x-ray technician turned off the machine. I asked him if he could turn it back on for me. He didn't respond and just started to wheel the machine out. And that chapped me. I asked again, and he said, I'm not allowed. Sorry, but I can't. It's hospital policy. Hospital policy? To not see our own medical records? What is wrong with this place? Brotherly love. Isn't it remarkable how our spirits yearn to be held, to be reminded of love when we are so broken? And the power of a hug. I'll never forget the remarkable moment of Pete giving Archer a hug. Or was it Archer giving Pete a hug? I remember your big hands. You know, both you and Archer have such big hands. And how you slid your big hands around kind of under him. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was a good hug. August 8th, day four. I look back and wonder why intensive care units and trauma centers don't have simple ABC boards or let families know they could make them to use for communication with their loved one who can still think and blink even if they have suffered a spinal cord injury or a stroke or are on a ventilator. The blink of an eye is so powerful. Being understood, 
being responded to with love. Both are so much a part of healing. All he had was the ability to faintly nod and blink his eyes. August 9th, day five. I awoke to a ping on my phone. It was 7.34 a.m. It was a text from Billy. He said, if you go to Mass this morning, see if you can get a Pix to bring communion to Archer. Mass. Oh, my gosh. Is it Sunday? I didn't even realize it was Sunday. I definitely hadn't made plans to go to Mass. My body was so tired. I had tried to sleep last night once I got home. I think it was around 2.30 in the morning. But the pings from others texting me continued into the dawn. So I did get myself to Mass. I drove on my way out of town. I found a standing room only spot where I could see which priest was saying the Mass. My mind was wandering as I tried to listen. I had Billy's and my list of decisions on my mind. I usually love Mass. And I love to sing at Mass as it lifts my heart. When I opened my mouth to sing that day, my mouth was frozen. I was literally lock-jawed. I wanted to sing, but hard as I struggled, something was caught so deeply in my throat that I could not. It upset me. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but my neck was paralyzed. And I felt those darn hot tears again beginning to roll down my cheeks. What is wrong with me, Lord? Please help me. I looked around. Why am I even here? I've got to get back to Archer. And I felt so alone. No one would understand the heaviness of my heart. I scanned the crowd. Who are these people? I don't belong here. I felt a wave of panic, of claustrophobia. I wanted to get away and get back to Archer. So I was sort of creating a separate world, walling myself off from them. When, as if out of nowhere, we were on the petitions, you know, that part of the mass where we pray for other people. And I heard the lady at the podium on the altar and the microphone say, please pray for Archer Sempt, who has been in a diving accident in the ocean. Oh my God. I felt myself careening like my knees were giving away. Everyone was responding, Lord, hear our prayer. And I was collapsing. And the next thing I knew, I was literally in the arms of, I opened my eyes 
Mary Ellen? Lo and behold, I had no idea, but you and I were at the same mass at, uh, in Cape May. And Mary Ellen, I didn't even know you were Catholic. Oh. All those wow. years of yeah. talking with you on the beach. We, we usually, you and I usually talked about worldly things. Right. And I don't know if you even remember that. Oh, I well, I do remember it. And it's funny that you should say that because, you know, I I am not a uh, regimented enough person on the weekend that I always go to the same mass. But when I'm in Cape May, you know, I do try to go to mass on Sunday morning. And for some reason that morning, I I don't know which mass it was, but I had a feeling that I needed to be there. Really? So the fact that I saw you there and uh, I, when I saw you there, I knew, I knew to stand behind you for some reason. So I don't forget that. I remember that distinctly. Oh, Mary Ellen, I am getting goosebumps. My hair is standing straight up on end. That is the Holy Spirit passing over for me. You know, I didn't think of that I would see you there. I didn't have any, you know premonition of what was going to happen but when I saw that you were there I had the sense that I should be near you we were on day five and the communication process with Archer had really evolved it almost takes my breath away my son Pete Sempt the inventor of the ABC board from $1 parts from the dollar store. Yeah, I can't remember like what stage Archer's recovery was, but for a while there, I think we were doing like blinks to signify the letter because he couldn't move his head at all. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't think it was really like nods until later on. I think it was like, Literally, he was, you know, stuck dead still, and he would just blink when it came to the letter he wanted. Family update. It was a relatively quiet day of rest for Archer. His lacrosse coaches came to see him and another dear friend this morning. But his mood seems a bit low, and he has been feverish on and off and climbing higher so they are checking on anything systemic. It's been a very sobering day with assessments. He has no feeling in his hands or any parts of his chest below his thorax, nor any in his legs or feet. The medical staff's attitudes in response to our hopefulness varies, and most tolerate us, while two others almost seem to shake their heads. We are realists. We also are believers in things we cannot see, but know can happen. I think Billy and I, in our separate shifts now, toggle all day between the moment-to-moment practicality of taking care of Archer in the now and in our 50-minute drives back and forth where we just dissolve 
and ball. It's all the little stuff that sparks the deep sadness. It feels like my chest is so achy, it could crumble. Archer asks, quote, unquote, asks repeatedly, when will the tubes be removed? And the answer is always, when you can breathe on your own. And you're doing great getting there. All in all, it's been a sobering day. And I'd say his spirits reflect that. I promised him in a conversation around midnight that we'd tell him all we knew. He was very bright-eyed and seemed renewed, albeit with fever. He really likes the cold compresses I put on him. He spelled out H-U-G again tonight with me. And so I lay my head on his chest and took in his smells and heartbeat. I added hug to the board of common requests. He is so loving. I relayed to him what James had reported to me and that no one actually saw what happened. He said all that James reported was accurate. Using the ABC board again, he spelled out, I told James, thank you. I said, you told James, thank you? He blinked, yes, I am happy. I am alive. We feel God's love amidst this unknowing. Amen. There isn't much time in an intensive care unit for thinking through complicated things. There were so many comings and goings and different parts to attend to decision-making in this upside-down world that I'd really didn't even realize was upside down yet, really. I thought Billy and I were doing okay. Every time Billy and I talked, I could tell he was getting more and more overwhelmed. We both were, I guess. There was a whole new group of people and families in the family waiting room. We were still there. It was intense. Each day, so different. We were passing like ships in the night, taking our shifts and managing as best we could. I didn't know how Billy felt or what he was thinking. I remember being bothered that I really didn't know how Billy was. My phone pinged. It was Billy. I suppose he was in the parking lot before he left the parking garage. He texted, we need a mediator. I, 
was stunned. What? Why? I felt like he had just thrown a cold bucket of water in my face. I took in a deep breath, noticing that every fiber of my being was just set on fire. I did not see this one coming. Whom to believe? Dr. Radcliffe had said Archer was stable, his neck stronger than it was before even because of the titanium rods and plates, and that the collar on his neck was there just to remind staff that he had a broken neck and wouldn't have range of motion. But the medical staff, the nurses, were very sensitive and even prickly if we so much as attempted to address one of Archer's needs that involved shifting his body in some way without their very careful assistance with his neck and neck brace. Dr. Radcliffe said it was the severed spinal cord that needed time to heal, and maybe there might be some feeling at the C5 level in time. The assessors who came in to poke and prod Archer for sensation said there was none and would not be. The pulmonologist said we should prepare for discharge to rehab in a week and Archer would be off the ventilator in days. Another told us he would not be off the ventilator for 15 days because of the 1% per day resolution rate of limited capacity from his collapsed lungs. What was it? Midnight. Archer then asked how much longer it would be for him on the lung machine. I told him I did not know. It was about the 10th time that day he had asked me. I knew he wanted off that machine. I told him I would let him know whenever I knew. I then said, Arch, if they tell me something new, like it'll be more than two weeks, do you really want to know? Don't you think maybe just one day at a time might be better? And I'll fill you in, if anything new. Archer and I sat in the quiet. I know he knew I was thinking about this. I took in a deep breath and I said, Arch, do you want me to tell you everything I learn or just parts that I think would be good for you to hear? There's a lot and it might not be helpful or useful if you heard everything. I lifted up the ABC board. He spelled out, you decide. Hmm. I said, okay. And I echoed, 
I'll decide. I felt a little relief, but I could tell Archer was not finished. I held up the board again, and he spelled out E, V, <laughs> everything. Oh, <laughs> I decide everything? He blinked twice. <laughs> I laughed. Got it. You're thinking more about it, huh? And you think you want me to tell you everything? Really? He blinked once. <sighs> okay. Then I promise I will do that. I felt real relief. <laughs> I felt exhilarated. I felt grounded. I felt like Archer and we would be partners. And we'd help this medical team figure him out. And I really felt this lift, like my arms were lighter. That, of course, Archer needs to know everything. It felt like the room had shifted. I reached out five years later to Dr. Ray Tallucci. Dr. Tallucci was the acting chief of trauma at Atlantic Care Hospital in Atlantic City, New Jersey, the day Archer was medevaced to Atlantic Care. I remember one incident in particular that you were really upset that we spent, God, about 45 minutes to an hour trying to sort things out. I was trying to kind of, you know, orient you to say, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people going to walk in this room. We're all really saying the thing, same things. We may be using different language. You hold on to any piece of information that you want to hear, as opposed to information, all the information you should hear and, and, and weigh it out. And, and, and that usually, that takes almost about a week to 10 days for families like yours who have someone who's going to be in the unit for that long and it has, has catastrophic injury to really begin to understand how complex this thing really is. And that I there are no predictions that, that come true. August 10th, day six. Archer had visitors whom we will always welcome, although it's only two in the room at a time. He has been buoyed by the poster his McDonough School Advisory Group put together, which was hand-delivered by Chris McDonald, who told Archer he had gathered all the kids at his house to make it. And they listened to music together, which Archer likes very much. He made many awesome playlists. The one he requested on day one was let my feet feel the beat and do the walking. He doesn't listen or request as often though because there is now so much medical activity constantly going on. It's not really good days or bad days, 
but a series of both. August 11th, Day 7. So, we are learning two other stark realities. Archer may not have enough diaphragm ability to ever breathe on his own. That piece of information yesterday took my breath away. Then later in the day, there was discussion about a tracheotomy. We will have a day of no visitors. Heaven joins our sorrow and cries today as the rain is steady and seems unceasing here in Cape May as I lie in bed trying to rest this early morning for a meeting Billy and I have arranged with a mediator to assist us later today with our dialogue for the many decisions we need to make now in the one day at a time world. Heart was already breaking for you when you asked me if I would be a mediator for you. I was just um, touched and terrified. I mean, really terrified. And I knew and I could feel it without even talking to you first, I could just feel how traumatized you were and how traumatized Billy was. I called several people who I know had a depth of knowledge about trauma. And so the advice that I got was, they'll wanna go off into making future plans. Don't let them, you know, try to keep them focused on what has to happen now and, and what has to happen tomorrow and the next day. Don't let them go off into planning for the future because they, they're just not going to be rational enough to do that with any clarity. Plus, the situation was so precarious. You know, we thought Archer might die at any moment. Um, that making future plans we didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, we didn't have anything to base future plans on. Rachel facilitated our four-hour session, allowing us to scream and pace and sit back down and talk and create our goals and fill up four more newsprints full of topics and ideas and to-dos, making decisions, some small, some large, some just to give us a safe container. But what marked that mediation and another session we scheduled was that Rachel knew all our decisions would be our own decisions, amplified, expanded, and more thoughtful because of the mediator's presence, her presence, and constant reflection of our exact language and our ability to write up the ideas then and there and see them and think about them and to have our dear mediator summarize our two steps forward, one step back progress. August 12th, 
Day 8 Doctor's Orders, No Visitors Today Except for the pulmonologist I would hound, no one was there to explain any of this to me. There were times when I thought I was going crazy because what I was getting from staff was conflicting. Or they'd say it wasn't their specialty and I had to ask someone else. Or they just wouldn't say. But they wouldn't say they didn't know. That bugged me. It honestly would have been helpful if they had just said, we just don't know. Anything's possible. I can live easily with anything as possible. But that's not what they said. And they definitely didn't say, we just don't know. Archer opened his eyes and was awake for a while. He then asked, when he would get off the ventilator. I told him one of the doctors had said 10 to 14 days at most, and we were just waiting on the lungs to drain. But I had to add, since I had promised to tell Archer everything I learned with the pulmonologist who had just been in the room had just told me. I confess I hedged it a little because I didn't believe that doctor fully. He had said, you are probably looking at the long term. Oh, man. I told Archer, and one of these guys said it might be more long term, but Archer, I thought he was full of shit. Pardon my French. Archer turned away, <laughs> and I felt the tears burning in my eyes, but I couldn't let Archer lose hope. It wasn't fair to him. Out of nowhere, I heard this ghastly, <sighs> and I looked at Archer. He had a wild look in his eyes, and perspiration was starting to beat up on his forehead, but it was freezing cold in the room. Oh my God, what was happening? I felt seized with fear as his face was contorted and his mouth was contorted in what looked like agonizing pain. I raced into the hall frantically. Excuse me, can someone help us please? Room 3117, something's wrong with Archer. One of the nurses behind the monitor looked up and said someone would be right in. And I said, no, now. I raced back into Archer's room. It was awful. It scared me how he looked. I didn't understand. Another nurse came in very quickly with another drip bag and the two worked quickly together while Archer writhed and sweat. What are you giving him? I asked. She said, fentanyl. Fentanyl? He was already on all these other pain relief drugs for the chest tube lung stuff. At least that's what I thought. I just wanted them to do whatever to help Archer. It's gonna be okay, Arch. They're gonna help you, I said to him. 
trying to soothe him. They were trying to soothe him too. And just then, the alarms went off. Our room, code blue? Oh my God, what? I didn't anticipate that, us? If the medical staff knew this could happen, no one forewarned us, the nurses didn't say anything. They didn't educate me. Oh my God. I looked at Archer and it was like a silent scream. It was so ghastly and so hideous. His mouth was gaping wide open. His eyes were hollow. He was like frozen. The agony was all over his face and the strain of his chest. Then his eyes closed and his head toppled forward over the neck brace. And then he began thrashing his head from side to side. Archer, I exclaimed, what is it? We will help you. I have never seen anything so gruesome in all my life. Oh my God, please help us. August 12th, day eight. It was finally peaceful again in Archer's room. Billy had arrived as soon as I texted him earlier that morning, and we stayed together again into the early evening. Neither one of us wanted to leave Archer's side, but we knew we needed sleep after the harrowing silent scream episode. I watched Archer in the dark with the hand-knit yellow shawl draped over the top of his chest. Day nine, Thursday. All was calm and Archer's room was finally peaceful. It had been a long, long day. <laughs> I think it was around 1.30 a.m. when I finally dozed off. And then it happened. All hell broke loose. The shrill alarm sounding, clamoring in the hallway and in our room. I bolted up. Archer's monitors were quiet, but something was terribly wrong. Oh, my God. I raced for the door just as staff were rushing into the room. I didn't know what it was all about. Three nurses checked the monitors and checked Archer and then yelled, Cardiac arrest, and barked another order. The hospital sound system in the hallway blared, Code blue. It was chaos. Pray, Louise. I instinctively reached for my phone and sent out a message to my family. It was 3.43 a.m. and the message read, Oh my God, wherever you are, wake up and pray. Pray with all your heart. Archer is in cardiac arrest. It was like watching chaos on a movie screen from another world, a horror world. We were watching time was moving. It was so chaotic and so slow. I watched the second hand on her watch too. I watched the men screaming, beating him, suction cupping him. 
The team was now jamming huge suction cups on both Archer's chest and his back and manhandling the pressure to push and use suction to try to trigger, I guess, an electrical impulse needed to start his heart. The monitors were still flat. I had never been in a situation like this before. I was panicking, and I was not. I was very, very aware that I had no idea what I was to do. I was empty. Please, Lord. I felt removed. Please, Lord, show me the way. Tell me what I am to do. Was this a heart attack? Why was this happening? I opened my mouth. Archer! I screamed instinctively. You will have a good life. We love you. I sensed the fatigue of the large men slapping Archer's back and yelling at him. I sensed time might be up. I could tell the big men pounding on Archer were getting tired and the monitors had not changed, and it was eerily quiet. No! I looked up and scanned the room, and there it was. I sensed the evil. It was a dark, fog-like cloud entering that room with an eerie green color to it. It was literally heading towards Archer. I could see it. You might think crazy, but it was there. I knew it like I had seen it before. It flashed through my mind that it was the exact same eerie color green lightning. It cracks the sky. I jumped up like a crazy woman and I yelled, No! Death be gone! I was like a banshee. I flung my hands as if I were fighting that fog to get it away from my son. Move! No! As I waved my hands frantically in the air, slicing that cloud as I raced around the room, I dipped in and out of all the corners of that room, screaming, devil, devil, depart this room. Get out. We will have life. Wake up, Archer. The room was still. The men stopped. The paddles stopped. I stopped. Our world stopped. And then, One of the monitors gave the faintest little beep. All eyes turned. Oh, my God. I could feel the tension in the air, but it was different air. We continued to watch in dead silence. 
and it was faint. But he came back. Oh, God, thank you. He is back. Thank you. Thank you. His return was very slow and fragile. But he opened his eyes. We had our boy back, our lion-hearted boy. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So much happens in the first days of a traumatic event. Trauma is hardly one event. Yes, it does begin with an event, but then it unfolds and it has many layers. I know you know that too from your own lives. Sometimes the layers only get peeled back years later. <laughs> That's all part of trauma healing. As we enter season two, we can expect to look back to move forward. It takes courage and gentleness with yourself. I welcome you to do this with me as we continue my story of the Archer story and the up-close, real, truthful, sometimes painful, sometimes exhilarating journey of a catastrophic accident and what it is like in an intensive care unit in the first days and weeks of crisis. I invite you to pay attention to your body this season of Blink of an Eye. There's so much wisdom in the body. We will explore this more throughout the season. As we close this opening episode, you can deepen your ability to observe what goes on on the inside of your body right now. If you felt something somatically in your body, a physical sensation, or an emotional feeling that had a physical manifestation when you listened to the montage, or if you flashed to a thought about your own life, just pause and notice the sensation that your body was experiencing. Was it a flutter, a tear, a tightening, a burning, a stopping? Just pause. Become curious and welcome that sensation. Thank it 
for reminding you that you experienced something important in your life. Our bodies can be so relied upon for giving us the opportunity for trauma healing. Yes, our bodies. Even when we have moved on or think we have moved on from a past trauma, often still carry the cellular memory of unhealed trauma. And our bodies, even when they are broken, are still amazing temples of the conversion of that energy to healing energy and grace. Thank you for joining me for season two. We will do this work together. God is good. You are beautiful. Join me on episode two, Blind Faith, where I pick up where the montage left off. Oh, you might want to listen to the deeper dive. About 20 minutes of trauma healing learning 2.1 What Just Happened Be well. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Amen. Life is precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You may tune in to the trauma healing learning that accompanies this story this Saturday at Trauma Healing Learning 2.1, What Just Happened. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.